0: What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another week of the Outsiders podcast. Uh, I'm Sean Williams. I got Chip Turner here, and we have our first inaugural guest, uh, Tanner Elliott. Um it's a quiet period in in football land and dolphin world but we did have OTAs uh start this week so uh Chip what's your thought on the participation level
1: um I think it was a a good amount of participation by a lot of the the players on the team uh I know a lot of the NFL clubs are a little less um I don't want to say they're discouraging it but they're being very cautious uh as COVID winds down with with the player participation but i i I was pleasantly surprised by the number of players who showed up by the number of players who who seemed to join the team camaraderie I, i i think it speaks volumes about what brian flores
2: is building what's your thoughts
0: yeah tanner what was kind of your first observation
2: well, I know that um, it was kind of reported that the players in Flores made a made a deal to make it basically, you know, pretty light. So I think that worked out in a lot. And uh, I know Xavier Howard wasn't there though. I did see Omar Omar tweeted that out, and that's a that's a name. I'm not sure if he goes any year though. I'm not sure if he went last year, or the year before. That's a, that's actually something to look into. I know Xavier Howard seems like the biggest star not to be there. I'm not sure if, you know, the fans are probably going to say he's, he's traded now or you know <laughs> something like that. Um it's only voluntary though, like he said not everyone was there, only like 70% people were there, which is still a good margin, you know, like Chip said compared, compared to the rest of the NFL. But um I think it'll be interesting to see especially just Howard, how many players don't show up for, you know, mandatory mini camp and then start the beginning a training camp.
0: Yeah, I think it's something, I guess, maybe to follow once things become a little bit more mandatory. I know people, especially in the media, um, like to make a big deal about who shows up at OTAs and, and stuff like that, probably because there's not much else to talk about, obviously, this time of year. But everybody knows Xavier Howard is my favorite player by far. Um He's the only current Dolphin player uh, whose jersey I own. Um, I stopped buying jerseys a long, long time ago, A hey, because um, they just get traded or they leave in today's day and age. I, I Jarvis Landry is one of my favorite Dolphins of all time. I got super close to buying it, and then we all know what happened there. But, yeah, I'm probably more excited than most uh, for OTAs just because – You know, the Finn Maniacs as a group, we've been grinding and grinding and grinding the past few months, um, you know, for the draft and stuff like that. But it's kind of cool after, geez, almost five months now to actually see some of the guys again, Um, like getting to listen to uh, Miles Gaskin and the Landon Roberts talk, like it kind of got boring quick, a lot quicker than I would have thought listening to the rookies. Uh, media availabilities because every answer they have is just the exact same uh, iteration of the last one. So it, it's kind of cool. It was cool to see, you know, two out there, you know, the Dolphins put out a couple of, uh, you know, cool little clips on Instagram and stuff like that. But speaking of Miles Gaskin, I know that you were uh, pretty fired up during the draft that Miami just kept ignoring your wishes to go get a running back um and i'm not gonna i'm not gonna sugarcoat it uh tanner was definitely throwing the f-bombs around the group chat getting all pissed <laughs> off so uh, how how have you come around since then in terms of uh feelings about our running back room
2: well i just want to i want to put this out there uh, there first um I'm not bad about the pick at Harris. I mean, not Harris at Phillips at eighteen. I actually think Harris is the best pick we had all draft, including Waddle at six. Um, what what I have liked Harris at eighteen? Yeah, I do. I mean, I would have loved him. Um, and the moment Harris got picked, and then Travis got picked, and then the once once Travis got picked in the Jaguars in the first round, I definitely said we're going to have to trade up back. We're going to have to trade either up back into the first round or in front of a team in the second round to get, you know, Javante Williams. And, we, you know, of course, we didn't get him because the Broncos trade in front of us. But um, I've cooled down a lot <laughs> just from, you know, thinking we need a running back. I mean, do we still need one? Yeah. I mean, I, I've, I'm i a huge fan of Gaskin, but do I think Gaskin can can take the ball 25 times a game? No, I don't but do i think we have a group of guys that can run the ball 40 times a game yeah it's just a matter of how effective can you run the ball 40 times a game uh how effective can they all be in the passing game as well and i know we just drafted um gloaks from cincinnati in the 7th round he's a he's a good pass protector so i'm not too worried about pass protection from a running back standpoint i'm more worried about an effectively like effectiveness really do we have a running back can we get 4 yards a carry through the whole season instead of having you know get two yards to two yards to carry two yards of carry some games and then just have one one or two big runs that inflates the number essentially if that makes sense I know everyone likes that yard for carry but um if you take out you know the longest rush they had what's their yards per carry now are they getting are they are they continuously getting long runs that are inflating the number or are they just get lucky on that one run and essentially you know
1: Yeah, you were definitely in a state on draft night. I, I remember that as well. <laughs> I was like, is he?" I, I remember uh, being in Cleveland and uh, looking over at Sean. Is is, is he okay? <laughs> he seems really upset about this. Um, I think a couple things briefly on that. I am with what I have seen and heard from Miles Gaskin already this year. Uh, he seems like he is bringing his lunch pail. Um, he does not like there was a there was a, an article I saw uh, very recently where he actually lost a foot race to Salvin Ahmed and was angry I mean like legit mad about it um, he seems like he is going to try everything he has to take the next step uh, in his evolution as a player do I ever do I think that he'll be ever be a 25 carry a uh, a game back? No, I do not. Um, but he definitely can get that chunk yardage. It may be two yards, three yards, two yards, fifteen yards, and and to your point, he's going to get he's going to break off one every once in a while. Um, but I think the way the running back room is set up, it is truly going to be a running back by committee set up intentionally, not because um, they messed up with the draft, not because they didn't have something specific uh, that they weren't able to accomplish. But this is by design. You're going to have carries from Malcolm Brown, I believe. You'll have some carries from Dokes. You'll have some carries from Ahmed. And you will, I think, the majority of them going to go to Miles Gaskin. Um, But I don't think you're going to wear any any of them out. And I think that if you look back at the tree that Brian Flores came from, that's the, that's for lack of a better term, that's the Patriot way. They've been doing that for a long time.
0: Yeah. um, So I was watching some Miles Gaskin film the other night um, just because I was so excited, you know, after his interview. It was like I didn't get around to watching his interview till later at night. Um, it was a pretty busy day, but you know, I watched it and I started getting excited like that's that's awesome like that you know, we're just that little bit closer to the season. so I was like, I decided to just kind of you know, watch his, his, some film of his from last year. and there was a couple of things that stood out to me, good and bad on film that I want to get your thoughts on so, you know, everyone kind of thinks of Gaskin as, you know, kind of a speedy guy, no. but he looked slow in every big play he had. <laughs> like he looks very slow on film and it might be because he's, you know, a bit smaller, but he doesn't, he doesn't appear to move very fast. Although he does have some great shiftiness, which like obviously shows up on camera. Like he makes guys miss at the line of scrimmage and can turn that in like a, a tackle for loss. He can turn that into you know, a 2, 3-yard gain or even like an 8, 10-yard gain. Um, I love what he brings in the passing game. Um, I think he's very underrated there. And, and I don't know. I just – I didn't – the other thing that isn't something maybe someone would pick up on pretty easily, but the way he runs the ball, he takes a lot of hits, like tackles, at a very off-balance body position, which, like, my first reaction when I see him get hit and he's kind of already off-balance is, like, oh, man, is he going to fumble? Which, you know, he doesn't have fumbling issues, but it's something I I notice kind of repeatedly. He takes a lot of weird kind of hits you don't normally see. Maybe because, you know, bigger backs, they'll lower their shoulders and and, you know, try and run through guys. He's kind of just run it moving so fast once he gets going that, um yeah, he just seems kind of off balance when he when he gets hit, you know, more than eight to 10 yards down the field.
1: Yeah, yeah. he he um he's definitely not the fastest back. Don't get me wrong. I mean, when he when he lost a foot race to Salvin Ahmed, a lot of people are going to lose a foot race to Salvin Ahmed because Salvin Ahmed is probably the fastest running back of the entire on the entire team.
0: Yeah, um, and that was the other one, the other uh, thing too, and maybe Tanner, you can uh, touch on it. I don't think enough people are talking about Salvin Ahmed. Um, I think he's he's, I I don't know how big, but I think he's a part of Miami's plans for running the football this year. And again, like Miami always kind of releases things in very subtle ways, but, you know, I've heard, you know, out of the coaching staff's mouth or you know the the beat reporters mouths that you know they believe not only in Gaskin but Ahmed too um Tanner what what's your thoughts on him
2: um i definitely i definitely do agree i definitely think there's going to be four backs on the roster you got Gaskin and, and Ahmed and you got Malcolm Brown you got Patrick Laird those are going to be the the four backs on the roster and they're all they can all do things differently with the two most similar being i think Gaskin and Brown because I think Ahmed, like Chip was saying, is probably the fastest one in the room. And to me, he played the best just in his touches, if that makes sense. Like, to me, like, um, I forgot, I think it was his first start. I forgot who it was, but I was actually very impressed with him, his first start. I know it did die down a little bit, but I was, I think that Ahmed has the potential to overtake Gaskin as the number one halfway through the season, or then potentially... When he played in. in
0: those couple, yeah, when he... You can go, Sean. Yeah. When, sorry. <laughs> yeah. When he played in those couple games um, after Gaskin went down last year, I almost liked him better than Gaskin. Um, not maybe overall, but his running style. like he just gets her on the edge fast. Um, I'm a fan. Um, and I have to say, um, obviously you're not aware. So you get a pass this time, but this is very much uh, Jared Doak's podcast. And uh, I didn't hear his name come out of your mouth for <laughs> one of those final roster spots. So um, if you need some education, just let me know we <laughs> and we can go
2: I actually, I actually completely uh, forgot about him. I, I even though I just named him a couple minutes yeah, ago, so but I do think it's going to be I t- between a, I, I, him and Brown. Him and Brown, because I think Brown, Brown, Brown was a one-year deal. Um, so I do think that. You know, I I think Blokes would be on the practice squad, of course, if he doesn't make the roster. Because you know how how running back injuries are to Miami. It's like, you know. <laughs> I, I think people say, have
1: too high of an opinion of Laird.
2: He's a good he's Go ahead, a good sir. yeah,
1: no, that's I, so that's where I was going as well.
2: He's a good special teamer right. and I think he's the best pass catching back in the in, in the room, in my opinion.
1: That's that's a distinct possibility, but I will say this. I am looking forward to watching to see what Jared Dokes can do. Uh, Dokes is an interesting cat. Once you start watch, watching um, the stuff that he did, because I know that he had a he had a very good start to his collegiate career and he had a very good finish to his collegiate career. There um, there's some things that when I'm in, in the middle there that weren't not as great. Obviously, uh, he did get he did get banged up a little bit, um, but he he seems like the type of player. Who is going to run with violence, which I think is something that Brian Flores wants to establish. If anything can be said, and I've said it before on a podcast in the past, if anything can be said about some of the moves that Brian Flores has made in this offseason is he wants to do two things really well. He wants to be able to run the ball and he wants to stop the run. I think the his defense is, is is going to generate pass pass um, quarterback pressures no matter what, and I look forward to seeing what Jalen Phillips can add to that mix. I think it's going to be spectacular. But everything he's done that I've seen seems to indicate that he is going out of his way to make sure that he can run the ball, and he's not going to have to have any issues like last year where he you know he he couldn't get a power back to get one or two yards when he needed it. I think that's a, that's that's gone by the wayside. I think Malcolm Brown can certainly get those tough yards when he needs it. And I don't I want to see what Jared Dokes can add to the mix.
0: Yeah, my my one um I was gonna say final thought, but I think Chip, you know already, I, I may never have a final thought on Jared <laughs> Dokes. Um but but the the thing the thing with him, like I, I mean I, I kind of fell in love with him as a player, watching his film and seeing what he can do on the field. But everything that's come out of his mouth or, um, you know, through his fingers uh, that he, he tweets, it's, it just makes him so much more exciting of a prospect where it, it's just this kid's hungry. Like, he's not going to show up to training camp, you know, with his tail between his legs, intimidated. Like, I think this is the type of guy that's going to show up to training camp ready to go. Um, he, had,
1: he had a tweet, if I can jump in there real quick. That yeah. I, I, I will not forget ever <laughs> because it was during the draft and he said, he just tweeted out, if you want to keep your quarterback clean, draft me. And that was awesome. I saw that and went, oh, that's going to catch somebody's attention. That's going to get him – that tweet right there is going to get him drafted. It wasn't on somebody's plan before because that's not something you see a running back say. You don't see a running back say, hey, I'm." it's, it's my job as a – as a pass blocker to make sure your running backs, your quarterback stays clean running backs are all about, you know, getting those extra yards of tough yards. I'm shifty. I'm fast. As no one can beat me in a foot race. This guy was touting himself as a blocker, which I thought was awesome. Sorry. That was, it. Yeah, I think, yeah, I think,
0: yeah. I just think generally he's, he's not the type of player slash person that you see, you know, often there's something that feels different about him mm-hmm. and, it makes you feel like he's someone that's going to be around for a while. Now, does that mean he's going to be a Pro Bowl running back or, you know, a a star or even a starter? I don't know. I can't answer those questions. Um, It's still the NFL, and the NFL is full of chock full of talent. But I get the feeling that he's, he's going to be a part of the Miami Dolphins when it's all said and done at the end of the summer. So, yeah, I mean, I'm excited by the running back room obviously i wanted naji harris it didn't didn't work out
2: it did not but
0: kind of is what it is yeah um i know chip like i guess we've kind of we've kind of you know not really talked about this much um on the podcast but maybe it's finally time to address uh tua and his progress and the outlook on him going into the year
1: i am remarkably pleased with how things are developing for Tua. Uh, we could go over all of the, we can rehash everything. And, and Tua's performance in, in 2020 was not phenomenal. It was not as awful as a lot of people would love to make it seem for whatever reason. He seems like the, the poster child um, for people that aren't Miami Dolphins fans to dump on. And I think a lot of that had to do with Justin Herbert having an absolutely phenomenal season. I think if he had not quite literally had the best rookie season a quarterback has ever had, Tua would not seem so lackluster. He was a rookie. We can go over all different things that happened. You know, his his hip, not you know, he had the hip injury. He was recovered from it. He was 100% healthy, but was he 100% recovered? You can have all of these different things. I don't care about that moving forward. I'm not going to get into it. I'm not going to argue with people about whether he's, you know, people don't want to hear excuses. Well, if you don't want to hear excuses about it, you should probably stop listening because these aren't excuses. These are the things that happen. This is fact. What I like, it is. What I like moving forward is they are setting up to a, to, to succeed. They're giving him the best possible opportunity to be the quarterback the franchise quarterback that Miami's been looking for if it doesn't work out it doesn't work out but we're gonna know that is something that I am incredibly pleased with because for the longest time before Tua was the quarterback of the Miami Dolphins before he was even drafted Miami had Ryan Tannehill for seven years and here's the thing with Ryan Tannehill love him or hate him I was a fan you didn't know even for in year five, you didn't know for sure if Ryan Tannehill was the guy. And it was stupid. It was a, one of the dumbest things I have ever seen an organization do because they butchered how they protected him. They butchered the weapons they gave him. They butchered pretty much any opportunity they had to back him as the guy. So after they you know they went through a coaching change they still didn't know for sure is ryan tannehill the guy and my biggest fear was you know what somebody needs to figure out what ryan tannehill's strengths are he clearly had some weaknesses he clearly was lacking in pocket presence he didn't he was his awareness was horrible he there were some specific things that he couldn't do well, but there were some very specific things that he did really well. And I always, I was kept thinking to myself, you know what, if someone figures out how to best game plan for Ryan Tannehill, not try to jam Ryan Tannehill into another game plan, he's going to be successful somewhere. And guess what? The Dolphins and Ryan Tannehill rightfully parted ways because his time was done, the Dolphins were done with Tannehill. Tannehill was done with the Dolphins. Someone got a hold of him and built a game plan around his strengths. And guess what? He took him to the AFC Championship game. Whether or not Derek Henry took him to the JFC Championship game or Ryan Tannehill did, doesn't matter. He was a quarterback of the team that went to the AFC Championship. Now, what the Dolphins are finally doing with a competent front office is they're setting up tuatunga Loa. So they don't have to wait until year five to figure out is he the guy or not. They're going to know year two or at worst case year three because they have now set him up with a solid, deep offensive line. They have set him up with the type of weapons that will make him very effective. They have set him up with the coaching that he needs to succeed. And we'll know, we won't have to sit here in two or three years well maybe he's the guy maybe he's not miami's gonna know very quickly if Tua is the guy i believe he's the guy i've been wrong before i even remember the day but we'll know we'll know very quickly and i can't no i want to hear about the, the day. front office what's that i want to hear day about where the i was day. wrong yeah. the day where i was wrong it it, it, it involved the, the 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 sixers you know and, and and a guy a, a guy who you now plays ball for Orlando. Yeah, no, the the process. Don't even get me started about the process. Oh, Faults. <laughs> yeah, I was good. wrong about faults. He
0: is good though. He just can't stay healthy.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's 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 it. I, I thought he was the missing. He was. I thought he was a piece that was going to bring him bring him over the top.
0: Yeah, you would have thought Jimmy Fultz. Butler would have been, and I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Not I to guess, I guess off the yes. off the basketball, but yes. Um, yeah, so before I go on a rant, because I have a rant upcoming, um <laughs> Chip knows how much I like my rants. Um and then a couple other thoughts. Tanner, let me get some of your thoughts on um what you're seeing out of Tua's development and uh how you feel he's set up to hopefully take that next step in year two.
2: Um, let me just say this. Um, I want someone to go break their hip, okay? Come back in roughly nine months, less than even because he was you know, was training camp and everything, and then uh, go out and do what Tua did last year with the with the help he had. <laughs> that's that's one thing that people are uh, are uh, you know overlooking his injury. And you know, you see it this off season. That's the biggest thing to me. You look at him now, and the man—the man's probably put about 15 pounds of muscle on. And I'm not—you know—people could think I'm exaggerating. You know, it, it looks like everywhere. His arms are bigger, his chest is bigger, his legs are bigger, his hip. You, everyone just saw the video of him doing the—you know—the—the—the the, the, the pocket, the pocket drills the other day. His hip looks better. Yep. It's—I think that's going to play the biggest part in it. Um, of course, his weapons are better. You have, you know, Waddle, Fuller, Gasecki, and him are building the chemistry. He's going to build chem. He's been building chemistry with his receivers all offseason long. His hip, he's been rehabbing from the hip still, as he was doing last offseason, as well as training camp. So I just think that, you know, the biggest thing to me was the hip. The hip is now 100% healed. We know it because we see him bigger, him stronger, him more confident as a player as well, I think. And I think that is what's going to make him go from the two we saw last year, the two we saw at Alabama, the one that can lead the team to championships and, you know, be the talk of why he's good and not people questioning him.
1: Yeah, there's a big difference, in my opinion, between being 100% healthy and cleared and being 100% recovered from an injury. You you can look at Jalen Waddle, the championship game,
2: actually. Oh, yeah.
1: Yeah, you can, you can even, go, even go closer to home than that. A guy that had a hip injury, who was on the Miami Dolphins, named Albert Wilson, who, when he hurt his hip, he came back a year later, and he was pronounced healthy. He was perfectly healthy and able to play. But he did not, he was not the same player he was the year before until the last three or four games of the season, where all of a sudden he had his quickness back. And he had the ability to uh, separate better from receivers. And if you look at his stats over those last three or four games, they were night and day as compared to, to the time before that. It's, it's an entirely different thing, in my opinion, to get back on a football field and be able to play than being absolutely 100% recovered and comfortable that your body has recovered from the injury. It happens a lot with ACL injuries as well. A player can come back, but they don't have their full explosiveness, and they don't have 100% confidence in their ability that their body is going to be able to do what they want it to do. And I think Tua is now where that where he was before, and we'll see going forward.
0: Yeah, so <clears throat> small rant time. Um, and because I, I'm just kind of, I was over this during the season, during last season, um, and I'm certainly over it now. I guess the way I look at football, real football, um, at the end of the day, at least in pro football, the only thing that matters is um, the end results of that game. Was Did you win or did you lose? And as of right now, obviously, Tua has a winning record, um and was on the cusp of the playoffs and you know everyone wants to you know do the natural you know to uh herbert burrow comparisons everyone wants to hype on herbert um my thoughts on that if justin herbert comes out next year and he throws 7000 yards for 80 touchdowns and five interceptions and with the same record he did last year, plus or minus a game to add the extra one, then who who really gives a shit? You're nothing more than a fantasy football, you know, conversation at that point, unless your team's winning football games. And I look at I, I look at what the Chargers did this offseason, and I look at their draft that everyone you know got so fired up about, and half their players are either um, specific positions chin fit type players or developmental prospects uh, like a Chris Rump or it was Rump they got, right? I yeah. think they took Chris Rump. Yeah. Asante Samuel isn't a, a CB1 and I love Asante Samuel, but he, he shouldn't ever really be, or at least this early in his career, he's not going to be the best cornerback on your team. Um, I mean, Slater was a great pick. It was probably one of the best fits in the draft, but I've never heard in the history of the NFL um i've never heard of a a full rookie class being able to make such a positive impact that they really change the dynamic of the team the first year they're there um most of the time you'll get one or two from a draft class that contribute enough to make some sort of difference and the rest you know take two or three years to develop and then some of them never get it so um, and that was kind of, that's kind of my same argument with uh, Zach Wilson's Jets. Um, that's cool. You got, you know, a, a decent draft, but I'm not, I don't think your fourth round, fifth round, sixth round picks are are really going to make all that much of a difference their first year in the league. And maybe one of them does, but uh, the way people are talking about, you know, draft classes for teams like that are like, eh, they would have to have five or six insta starter almost pro caliber players to turn um their franchises that far forward so that's going to be my little rant on burrow and herbert um because their teams still have a long way to go uh especially burrow's defense um and it's kind of
2: the the same thing
0: this year which uh, i do want to yeah oh yeah of course in the (laughs) offensive line um, but hopefully with all those weapons he has lining up outside, he doesn't have to hold on to the ball too long. Um, but I was gonna save my Trevor Lawrence bashing toward for the end of the show. Um, that's, that's I think gonna be a weekly segment on the outsiders is just a little couple minutes of me bashing the Jaguars and Trevor Lawrence. Um, but it's the same thing. like everyone expects Trevor Lawrence to come in and light up the league. I mean that that team is is full of one and two year, you know, experienced vets like it, it's a really really bad football team. Now, will they develop? Maybe who knows. They're not going to this year. The Jets aren't going to this year. Um yeah, so I just get I just get tired of, you know, hyping up these quarterbacks that are on, you know, piss-poor terrible rosters. Um now with Tua um, some thoughts on, on him and uh, Chip, you know, I kind of like to look at things um, under the surface and kind of really analyze and, and think things through. And the one thing about Tua um, that does have me nervous, uh, that, that I saw a little bit too often in his rookie season, um, was something that kind of plays contrarian to why I loved him coming out of college and there was too many times where he just didn't look confident. He almost looked scared. Um and I, I remember the first time I really really noticed that was uh the the Broncos game where he was just he was just making terrible throws. Like he just looked nervous, he looked lost. Um and it's they weren't their defense wasn't, you know, presenting any kind of exotic uh things it's it just like he looked legitimately scared and there was a few too many times during that season um where to uh someone who's you know been regarded as a guy who has the quote unquote it factor um looked a little bit you know too uh beta and not not enough alpha and I don't know maybe if Ryan Fitzpatrick was part of that but if you're an alpha, that doesn't, I guess, really bother you anyway. Um, I mean, so that that's one thing I'm definitely looking at, um, and not even at the start of the season, but I'm going to be looking at that through training camp. Like, I know he can be a good leader, and I know he's a very likable guy um, for his teammates, but I'm looking for somebody who's not afraid when he gets on the football field.
1: What do you think yeah i think a lot of that goes back to what i said earlier uh um i think there was something some things that ha- occurred uh, during the season um that made him less confident and i think it comes down to and i know he hurt him i know he, he hurt his hand i believe during the season at one point in time but i think it go- boils down to not being 100% back to where he was I discussed that earlier in this when you try to get your body to do something that it used to do I'm, I'm, I'm very familiar with this because well I'm old um, and when when you, when you want your body to do something and your body just says no I can't do that right now it's it is incredibly disarming and I think that happened to him specifically in the Broncos game um, and you're right I think a a lot of it had a lot of it had to do with his pass defense or his pass defense his pass protection was not nearly what it was and you saw a couple of those plays where he tried to avoid the the pressure and he simply he looked like he's he couldn't make he couldn't get out of, of his own way at, at several times during that game and once that starts happening doubt's going to creep into your mind about well can, can I do this? Can I make this throw? Can this work? I think – I don't think you're going to see that during training camp. When things start – Yeah, I mean – I say When things start breaking down, and it's going to – things are going to break down. Things break down for everybody in, in the NFL, in, in, in live-action games. You're going to see it, whether or not that same look comes back into his eyes. But you're 100% correct. There were times during that Denver game, I'm like, "What's what's going on here?" He looked like a completely different animal. I mean, the beginning of the game, he was, was open
0: throwing wide open, yes. streaking yes, down was. the field. I think it was Jakeem Grant. Yep. Um, I mean, I mean, I, and I'm not trying to pretend like I, it was every play in every game, but it was just enough to to make me feel uncomfortable, it's, especially with one of the biggest knocks on him. And I know Chan Gailey was a scapegoat for many. And there was plenty of, of issues I, I had with, with Chan right. Gailey, but obviously we only know what we know and the Dolphins don't like to share much. So you never know what was going on behind the scenes and this or that. But um, it, it really bothered me for somebody who, you know, is such an it guy and someone who, you know, has shown to, th- to thrive under pressure and and you know seize the moment being afraid to throw the football to maybe less than wide open but still probably you're gonna catch the ball targets and it's especially when those targets are guys like Mike Gesicki or Devante Parker who um factually uh, proven by statistics usually catch those balls more times than not um Especially Parker. Parker, I believe, last year had one of the highest um, completion percentages um, when he was targeted um, in the entire NFL. He just – and that's why I'm so tired of listening to the Devontae Parker talk. And I won't go down that road. But he's he's so much more reliable and dependable as a guy that, at, at the very least, if you need someone to go and get that ball, he's the guy I want that ball coming too, but um, yeah, Tanner, what do you, what are your thoughts on, um, on Tua's confidence and uh, where that may take, you know, a, a step forward this year?
2: Well, exactly. Like I was saying earlier, uh, you could just tell he's more confident just on the way he's doing the drills. Really? I mean, this time last year, you weren't seeing videos of him working pocket, pocket presence drills. You were seeing him rehabbing really. Um, I think, and not only, I, I think the inconsistency in play calling from Chan Gailey also messes with your confidence a little bit. There might've been a little bit, I, Tua is, I don't think Tua is the guy to go up to his coach and say coach, that's not the right call. But I think there was times where Tua wanted like a third and 12, for example, I'm pretty sure Tua would want to throw, you know, a, a fade route to, or a go route to Devonte Parker Mike Isecki rather than the, you know, halfback dive we saw or the slants we saw. Or the screens we saw, it's I, I think that could have a little bit to do with it. Like you know what I mean. Like if it's third and twelve, and your coach is saying, "Oh, let's run a halfback dive," and you know, and the game's tied, or you guys are down by a point or something. Well, I mean, what's that say? <laughs> what, what what's what's to say about your quarterback?
0: Yeah, but I mean, like, what if what, what if Chan Gailey is actually, you know, earlier in that week he's watching film, and you know, we see for the most part, and I know some of us you know we we watch film and we have access to film but um we only really see what's on the, the television screen what if chan gailey is watching film and he's seeing a little bit too many times where um tu is not making the right read or he's not throwing the ball when he should have and what if it's chan kind of realizing that you know it's it, it's not like Tua's is just not doing like to was given by given these opportunities and he's just he's not doing it.
2: And you're right that that could be a point as well, but um, I think as the season went on, and this is just me personally, the play calling got worse as the season went on. Not I know I understand we had injuries and everything, but oh you, it did. the
0: Buffalo game didn't make the, the, any sense
2: exactly. Either. If you if you watch the the game against Arizona and you watch the game against Buffalo. It's like two completely different teams. Not even just the game against Buffalo. You look at the game against Cincinnati. The game, even the game against Denver, just looks like a whole different Agreed. game. The game against Vegas. See the
0: the game against the Chiefs was actually my favorite. Yes, game. Yes, the game um, against the uh, Chiefs was great. He stepped up and made some big time quarterback throws in that game.
2: He, he yeah, has I will say, the, he has the potential to to do what the Dolphins are looking for. Like, like you guys are saying, it just depends if he's going to have the confidence, especially from last season, you know, getting pulled in and out. I'm not sure how that affects his confidence or not. Or, you know, the ability to adjust from going, you know, offensive coordinators and chemistry and everything like that. It's it's To me, it's going to definitely be tricky to find out, you know, how good is Tula. We won't find out weeks one through four. This is a week, you know, 10 through 17 type thing.
1: Yeah, I'll definitely say I was – one of I was I was actually surprised with how happy I was when I heard Miles Gaskin say this is a completely different playbook they have now. And he said that this past week. And I was like, well, good. I mean, you you can't we can't go back to some of the play calling we had last year. I am of the opinion that one of Flores' bigger mistakes was that he called called Chan Gailey out of retirement. And keep in mind, Chan hadn't really done much of anything huge for mistake. well over a year. It was. And the nice thing, and I've said this before as well, the nice thing about Brian Flores is he has a great deal of pride in what he is trying to do with this team. But what I don't think he has is I don't think he has a huge ego. And there is decidedly a difference between having pride and having an ego. He knows when what he's doing hasn't worked. It didn't work. Okay. Well, you know what? Sorry, Chan. You got to go, pal. The, yeah. He's quick to correct. Absolutely. His mistakes. Which is wonderful. That is, that is,
2: that's something we that haven't seen from, from a coach in a long time. I think a coach Indeed. with a coach like that, I think Sp- uh, Sperano, not, not exactly the whole to, to that, to that extent, but that was the last coach that actually showed, you know, something <laughs> other than you have and to. Dan Campbell, have of course to. but yeah if if what you're doing
1: isn't working clearly move on I mean, it's it sounds like such a simple thing but there are I believe there are a tremendous amount of NFL coaches um who will sit they will just keep trying to do the same thing over and over and again. And expect different results and that was as we all know is the definition of insanity and there are certain coaches in the in the league who i believe just refuse to admit it when they're wrong about something and keep trying to figure out why what they're doing isn't working rather than just changing what they're doing and i'm going to uh sean i'm going to touch on this that's real adam Gase. <laughs> it's there it absolutely is adam Gase, and, it's, it's, and there's another guy who, um, yeah, it is. It's it's Chip Kelly. The yeah. last guy who mm-hmm. came from a college program and tried to implement his college program in the NFL, refused to admit he was wrong, refused to change anything, and always thought he was the smartest guy in the room was Chip Kelly. Well, we're seeing who it right now, so too, well. Chip,
2: actually. We're seeing that yep. right now yep.
1: in, and in Jacksonville. Yep. <laughs> That's exactly where I was going with this because keep in mind, Urban Meyer is a, was a, a, a very intelligent college coach, and I have no doubt that he's a smart guy. But you know what? He's not smarter than all of the other coaches in the NFL combined. And if he keeps trying to do what it looks like he's doing and basically rather than fit the strengths of his players into a game plan, he tries to jam the game plan down the players' throats, he's not going to succeed. Travis Etienne is not a wide receiver. I don't understand. what I saw that, and I went, he's not really going to play Travis Etienne as a wide receiver, is he? I, I certainly saw, hope not.
2: I saw that he's going to be used in the H-back position, like Percy Harvin was of Florida, like Paris Campbell was, like Curtis Samuel was, which I can see. But the fact that he's getting all of his reps is a bit odd. <laughs> it's, it's, it's extremely odd. I don't, I, guess, I don't get what he's doing. I guess it does kind of make sense because he is used to having Trevor Lawrence as his quarterback, if that makes sense. So well, he's I not, tell you what, he doesn't have to get used to how he does things. Which,
1: yeah, but I, I tell you what, if the worst thing that could happen is if he tries to jam a game plan down, down Trevor Lawrence's throat and Trevor Lawrence loses his confidence – I, I, that's, that's, that's criminal. It really would be because I believe right now in my heart of hearts, unless Urban, and I, I shouldn't say I believe it. I, I fear that Urban Meyer is going to ruin Trevor Lawrence.
0: Yeah. So, um, I'm, I'm a little upset. And this happens way too many times, um, on the Outsiders podcast where one of us will, will literally, you know, take <laughs> something that,
1: oh, uh, I'm sorry. I don't and know. Where you're it, going.
0: Yeah, I mean, end of the episode was supposed to be my Jacksonville bashing segment. Um <laughs> sorry. And, I was, and, and I was really excited to talk about that exact thing. But um to uh I guess my two cents on, on that. Um I think I don't think um he's gonna have Travis Etienne play wide receiver because he's trying to jam Travis Etienne into a college type system, I think, um, I think urban Meyer panicked at pick 25 and took ETN. And now he doesn't know what to do with him. So it's like, well, he's, he's still an elite level talent. We got to figure something out. Um, and I almost think I heard from somewhere that that's exactly what happened was, he he panicked and took Travis Etienne and I'm just not like this big Urban Meyer fan anyway like he just doesn't strike me like he doesn't strike me as someone who's actually confident at all like there was a lot of times you know with things he said leading up to the draft where I was just like what are you talking about like where he just sounded like elementary like he's never coached before at all like the way he was like trying to describe you know their draft strategy and he said something like i really gotta challenge i really gotta force myself or challenge myself to to stick to the board or or else i'm gonna go and reach for somebody and it's like you don't say shit like that first of all i when have you heard brian flores ever talk like that um yeah, I just, the Jaguars are, are terrible. Um, they're, yeah, I mean, I've, I've covered that so many times. But in terms of Brian Flores, I did want to touch on that. Um, couple things. I do think Adam Gase was a good coach. And I do think um, he, had, he had, you know, kind of a good plan for what he wanted his team to look like. Like, I think what got him in trouble was just, his personality is just absolute dog shit. Um, Your player, you have no respect for your players. So your players aren't going to have any respect for you. Um, And you believe a little too much in yourself, um, in your system and your philosophies and your ideas that, you know, you're just not willing to course correct. And you're not willing to to say, Hey, I'm wrong. But I, I do think he, he has a good football mind. Um, He just has absolutely the second worst personality I may have ever seen in a coach ever in any team, and that's second only to another former Dolphins coach, and that's Joe Philbin, who might be the worst personality person um, in the history of the world, Um, not just the NFL. But, um, yeah, I I mean, I mean, Brian Flores just, yeah, he – He's not afraid to make those changes. And I think that's because he doesn't want this team to succeed for himself. Um, if this team, you know, went and found all the success in the world and no one ever mentioned Brian Flores' name and he was just kind of forgotten about, I I, I think he would still be the happiest guy on the planet. And that that really speaks to his character. And that really speaks to why you have 70 participants at, at, you know, voluntary OTAs. Um, He's, he's a, he's a leader of men. um, And I like that he started out building his team with a bunch of kids that he could mold to fit that kind of mentality. So I'm, I'm eager to see, you know, in the next couple of years when these guys are up for, you know, second round of contracts, Hey, like, you know, this, do they have that same level of pride in the team? And I know, you know, it's, it's tough and you don't really see it that often because this league is so much a business as we've seen with um, Bobby McCain and, and other guys over the, over the time. But, you know, if, if Brian Flores is setting that example that, you know, this is a team, this is a family, you guys are like my kids. I, I love you and I care about you and I'm not afraid to admit that. That, I feel like that's gonna be hard for players to walk away from. Um, and I'm excited to kind of see how that plays out. And I also think that that's why this team continually outperforms the talent on its roster. Besides Brian Flores just being a good coach and coming up with good schemes on the defense, I think what makes us, you know, a game or two or three better um, in terms of the win column is the fact that it's just it's a it's a great environment. It's it's an environment that fosters um, development. It's it's nurturing, um, but it's not coddling. Uh, you, you have to show up and you have to give one hundred and ten percent every day, or you're going to be gone. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's it, he's one of a kind. And I I was telling Hussam, um, in the group chat one day, he was he was trying to you know blow up the Jets and how how you know great they they might be and and stuff like that and I I, I tried so hard not to just say Hasan hey, like you're you're stupid you don't know what you're talking about like you make no sense um and the the reason I feel like that is and he brought up examples of um you know, other guys, you know, coming from a Bill Belichick coaching tree or now like Salah coming from the 49ers and stuff like that. Well, there's a reason that almost all of those guys under these great coaching trees haven't succeeded. And that's because the the root of that coaching tree, the first seed, the Bill Belichick, the Mike Tomlin, the Kyle Shanahan, they have something special and something unique um, that sets them apart more than just X's and O's um and that's not something you can replicate that's something uh, in part you're born with or something that you know some situation earlier in your life while you were a developing child you were subject to and and it's just that's why i'm so high in brian flores and and like Hussam brought up the point that you know brian flores did it why can't robert sala And, and my point is i think brian flores is one of those coaches that has that something special.
1: Chip? Yeah, it is. I mean, never forget that after the Patriots beat the Rams in the Super Bowl, Brian Flores walked home. He wanted to he or he walked back to the hotel, I'm sorry. Because he wanted to experience what was going on with the fans. And I, that was one of the more interesting things that I have ever heard of. I'm like, wait, he walked? He walked from the stadium back to the hotel. Just a guy. He is, I don't think, and it goes back to the conversation or the the analogy I made before, or the statement I made before about ego versus pride. I think he had a ton of pride. I think he established that, one of the first things he established with the Miami Dolphins when he got there was the, the TNT wall. It takes no talent. You're going to work. You're going to show up. And there is a lot of pride in hard work. He said that, too. Um, and I think at this was at the end of his first season. He said, he said, very specifically said, there is pride in hard work. And I think that wasn't just a saying. I think that's really who he, he is. He's just that dude. He's going to show up every day. You're not gonna outwork him. You're not gonna out-prepare him. He's gonna, he's a genuine article who really, like you said, takes pride in his team doing well as a reflection of him and his work ethic. Um, either you have it or you don't. And I really believe that he has that ingrained in him. Um, I understand that he had a very, uh lunch pail mentality driven into him by, in his upbringing. And if you want to pass it on to somebody else, a football team is an absolutely outstanding place to channel that.
0: Yeah, so just to piggyback off that real quick before I, I throw it to Tanner. Um, the one thing, so with the takes no talent, right? Um, and I tried to explain this to Hussam. And by, by the way, I love Hussam. Um, he knows more than I'll probably ever learn about, you know, scouting, uh, college, and getting ready for the NFL draft. It's, it's frightening.
1: Yeah, he, he's he's frightening but, that way. Yeah,
0: he's 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 special. Yes, um, <laughs> he has something special going on too. But um, the whole thing with the takes no talent, right? It, the, it's it's kind of it's kind of gimmicky, but it's it's serious at the same time. What do I mean by that, right? It certainly does take talent. Um it's the NFL, it's professional football, and it one hundred percent takes talent in the sense that like like kind of Hussam and maybe there. some other Dolphins fans look at Yes. Well well not not only that, but like um um who like Hussam brought up the point like you know, Miami, everyone can see what Miami's doing, it can be replicated. Well, here's where that's different and here's why it's not so easy to replicate um and it starts at the top right they have have a very talented general manager um who also doesn't have you know an ego and he was talented enough to bring on the most talented college scout and most well-respected uh college scout in the nfl and reggie mckenzie on top of that um because of you know his personality and stuff in his talent, he went out and got um, the right coach. So now you go down to the next rung and you got a a very talented coach um, with a very impressive personality, a very unique mentality, and can work literally side by side uh, that GM and have just an absolutely perfect relationship, which is not something easily found in the NFL. And now after that, this is where take no talent goes from a, a gimmick to where it's, it's actually a thing. And that's that any, any coach can go and put a takes no talent wall up, right? But unless you go out and you get those players that have the same mentality, um, and that's, that's the, the theme of Brian Flores and Chris Greer, they're going out and getting guys that have the takes no talent mentality. Um, who are also very talented. Um, there's a reason Xavier and Howard did something you just about never see cornerbacks do um, ever uh, by having a, a, a double-digit interception slash turnover season. So it certainly takes talent, but it's the talent of the people starting at the top um, where they they're going and and they're so they're talented enough to know they need to get the right type of players that are going to fit that mentality all the way down it it, it's miami is not going to be something that can be easily replicated it's it's just not so much has gone right between those relationships and the chemistry and the thought process and the vision and the unity between all that um on top of going and actually getting the guys
1: who who
0: you know fit your same strand of dna
2: just, just to piggyback you off of Sean, um, I think you're exactly right. They have the GM, they have the coach, and about the talent, they have players that bought into the program. And to me, that's the biggest thing and why they're successful. Um, let me just throw an example out. I know I'm going to say his name and probably get death threats, but Mika Fitzpatrick, um, he complained that he did not get, that he was uh, you know, tasked of learning too many positions. There was a hissy fit. What's it what's he do? Traded. Okay. So um, you know, how many, how many GMs or coaches are just gonna trade their first round pick after a year or trade one of their young developing stars or a superstar on their team essentially? Because Fitzpatrick on the roster, I would say talent wise was the top five player on the team, 100 percent especially that year. Um, you look at the Tunsil trade. How many people are gonna trade the top tackle in, in the NFL? you look at it and then i mean of course we got a haul for it but how many teams are just going to take it in, like even to like even just take the call on it really you know what i mean you look at what's going on with aaron rodgers uh, if if aaron rodgers was in miami he wouldn't be in miami anymore just because that's how greer and you know coach flow roll they don't want players that aren't bought into the program and greer probably would have traded him for someone's draft for the next 10 years you probably did, <laughs> but they—that's—that's that's the biggest key to me. They're getting players that are bought in, and when you have a a a, a trade savvy a, a, a GM like Chris Greer, it makes things a whole lot easier because Coach Flow can take.
0: Yeah, no one talks enough about Reggie McKenzie and the well, impact he has.
2: Exactly. So Reggie McKenzie is doing great draft wise, but the trade wise. I I don't think when your GM and your well like you said Reggie McKenzie run Chris Greer Reggie McKenzie and Coach Flow all have a great chemistry. That's why the picture being turned in so early during the draft process because they all got their eyes on the same player because they know who they want they know who they need. If, if like let's say right now this is just hypothetical a player on the Dolphins starts saying something that Coach Flow doesn't like. Coach Flow takes five five steps essentially goes to Chris Greer and said trade him. You, you won't see that anywhere else in the NFL. And to me, I think that's why this works so perfect because you have everyone in the building respects each other, and that's the biggest thing. When you have people that respect each other and know how each other work, then of course they're going to work good. You look at the whole Big Ben situation that happened in Pittsburgh a couple years ago with Antonio Brown and Mike Tomlin. I mean, <laughs> of, course happened, of course the news leaked about two, three years later. But if that happened in Miami, I'll guarantee you one of those players would have been gone the next week. Just because the Dolphins don't, Coach Flo doesn't want any of it. Chris Greer doesn't want any of it. The, they don't want the media attention, the negative media attention. They really don't want any media attention, just how they are personality-wise. Except your Coach Flo at the Panthers hockey game last night, but that I think to me that's Which the biggest awesome. key. <laughs> yeah, and, and that, it's that things was- like
0: it's yeah, it's things like last night at the hockey game that show you Brian Flores has a heart that I just I I've, I've never I don't. And I I realize I'm a Dolphins fan, but it's something I haven't really seen in professional sports um, from a a coach like that. Like, he just – he loves very deeply and cares very deeply and is very passionate, and that's something that's easy to buy into um, for anybody, much less, you know, the players or the the staff.
1: Yeah. Did you see the (laughs) – that poor hockey fan who was (laughs) sitting down at Florida – walked up right next to him looked over and said well you know what that dude's not using that towel just borrow the towel got whipped up everybody into a frenzy and then gave the towel back like all right you you, you weren't using it are you good now all right I, I had to use that towel as a prop to get everybody going but there's something to be said for and it's a getting back back to the talent versus takes no talent in work work ethic the Dolphins have made. And it's true, I'm sure Reggie McKenzie has a great deal to do with this as well. The Dolphins have one of the most athletic draft classes in the entire NFL this year. If you look it up with relative athletic score, I know that's not a huge thing to get hung up on. But they're all of their draft choices tested very well athletically. So it's definitely a combination of being able to buy into what Brian Flores is doing, and also having the athletic talent. What I find interesting is that I believe the buying in part is more important than the athletic part. Um, Because like you guys have both brought up, if you don't buy in, you're gone. If you want out, fine, you're gone. Uh, that was shown. I that was shown last year with Curtis Weaver. Curtis Weaver could do some cool things. He
2: was hurt. Curtis Jim, Weaver didn't Jim, buy Jim. in. He got Curtis hurt. Weaver was what's that? He got he got hurt, and we pl- we were going to place him on IR, but we had to go through waivers first, and that's why he is no longer at Dolphin because the Browns picked him up on waivers. But,
1: I'm I'm aware of that, but there was also clearly there were. Were clearly issues in training camp where he was simply goofing off it wasn't wasn't showing up and putting in the effort the other guys were as well
2: i, I didn't even hear i mean that. that's
1: that's yeah that's it's not that's not something i'm making up it's i absolutely heard that he was he was not up to date on the playbook he was not up to date uh he was, simply was not progressing as well as the other players were he relied a lot on his athletic ability which was fantastic but i firmly believe that if he had shown the same amount of effort that the other players do, he'd still be a Miami Dolphin. Um, if you want to talk about somebody who, from all reports, was not quite the same locker room voice that he was portrayed to be earlier in the season, Kyle Van Noy is no longer on the Miami Dolphins. He showed up plenty of times on Good Morning Football and did lots of jokey-jokey stuff with him, which is great. I'm not saying it's something you shouldn't do. Um, but he didn't have the same value in the locker room that a lot of other people thought he did, and he yeah, his was,
0: personality was,
1: was not. Yeah, great. It's like it was told. It was, and it's not from just from one player. Again, he wasn't quite the voice of authority and the voice of leadership in the locker room that he was made out to be, and he's somewhere else now. So I am firmly of the belief that what Brian Flores is selling, almost everybody's buying it. And if you're not buying in, well, you're gonna be buying somewhere else.
0: Yeah. And and I guess my my final thought on that and what, I guess what surprises me the most and something, I think it would take, you know, someone that might be educated and human, uh, you know, the, the human psyche way more than I am is how Brian Flores finds a way to maintain the balance of he's so well respected and so well loved by his players even though he has shown that and this is kind of the first year it's happened but even if, even if if you're kind of you are bought in and you, and you do match the culture, he may still get rid of you tomorrow and and the the first guy i kind of realized that with was uh Shaq Lawson and i think it's going to become even more challenging um maybe next offseason the one after as you know a lot of the guys that he brought in um as young young guys their contracts are up um how he finds that balance of you you guys are my kids i do love you and even though you're doing all the right things you i still am going to let you go um so I'm kind of interested to see how that that dynamic works, and then the one one question I have, Chip, is there's one specific player on the Dolphins roster who doesn't fit into the Brian Flores world of in school of thinking, and I know you already know where I'm going with this, and that's Xavier Howard. But Xavier Howard remains today a Miami Dolphin. Um, I I believe Xavier Howard will finished 2021 as a Miami Dolphin. Um I don't know how long he'll be around and I mean even Mr. Sinek himself, Omar Kelly tweeted out today and he's a huge he's a huge Xavier uh, Howard fan. He even said like enjoy him while you have him um, cuz he's not going to be here forever. What 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 do you think is the reason why Xavier Howard is the lone the lone player that, you know, remains a Miami Dolphin despite kind of being his own person?
1: Well, I I don't think his personality is in any way a detriment to the team. Um, I understand that there have been some grumblings about his contract, and I'll tell you what, I understand why. Uh, It's simply because he doesn't have guaranteed money. He has money, but if something happens to him injury-wise, Miami can walk. They can just they can say, you know what, you your time with the Miami Dolphins was wonderful, and you were the league. You you had ten interceptions last year, which was phenomenal, but they can basically walk away from Xavier Howard if he gets hurt. And I understand why that would be. Cons- <laughs> if I was Xavier Howard's agent. That would concern me as well. I don't think he – anything that Xavier Howard has done is unreasonable. I don't think he has done anything specifically to put the Dolphins in a negative light. Um, And he gets out there, and he works. He does his job. I don't think anything he has done um, or anything in his personality shies away from Brian Flores's values.
0: Yeah, and something else with that, too – real quick, just to kind of wrap that that up is, you know, in, in regimes past, um, um, if there was, you know, a friction between player and team, um, that somehow, you know, found its way into, you know, national media and became, you know, people that people, you know, it was it got attention. And um, that happened with Jarvis Landry. But, you know, the fact that, I mean Miami is very tight-lipped but anyway but you know you got to believe especially knowing Brian Flores that I feel like that like he has a relationship with Xavier Howard. I feel like um you know it's easy to get the perception of Howard um cuz he's quiet, he keeps to himself. Um I think it's easy to get the per- the perception of him that you know he's you know the superstar guy and he's kind of just He's he's better, better, bigger than the team, but you know nothing has ever actually come out proving that or saying that. Um, and who's
2: How, Howard who celebrating his teammates all the time too? Up, mm-hmm. If you look yeah, at who said Xavier Howard Jones. didn't call
0: up Chris Greer and Brian Flores and say, "Hey, listen, um, I got a training regimen. I'm going right now. I'd like to stay committed to that. I've struggled with injuries in the past. Um, I just I want to do this." Um, and they had that conversation. or It was also his daughter's birthday, actually. Contract. Yeah, and everyone wants to talk about his contract, too. Who's to say that Chris Greer and Xavier Howard or his agent don't have open lines of communication about it? No one knows that because not one thing that's factual and negative has actually come to light with, with that situation.
1: Yeah. I I don't like I said before, and and if something was going going to happen, even with going back to the Curtis Weaver thing very briefly, um, one thing Miami does not do under this regime, and I think it's fantastic: they will not trash talk a player, even when he's gone. When they're gone, they they're gone. They wished Curtis Weaver the best, um, and they when they they, I don't think they did anything accidentally with Curtis Weaver. Um he was placed uh I believe it was injured reserve or not waved. injured it's injured designated waved. something was, to the point where they waved yeah yeah
0: waved correct. injured, yeah, yeah. Yeah, waved injured. Mm-hmm.
1: yep which mean and they they knew that he could be picked up by somebody else and I don't think they would have done that if they had intended to keep him now he got picked up by the Browns and even after that Flores said He's a great young man. We wish him the best. Um, they don't badmouth somebody. And if something has happened in that locker room or something has happened um, between a player and the front office, you're not going to know about it. Anybody who thinks that that front office has leaks at this point in time hasn't been paying attention because anything that's going to go on between player and coach and, or player, coach, and GM, you're gonna find out about it after it's been resolved. Same way with, even you can go back to the Tunsil trade. You didn't know what the Tunsil trade was going down until it happened. And well, I
0: don't think they had any intention of trading. No, they no. They just
1: got an offer they couldn't refuse. That's exactly correct. And they said that afterward, I believe I, the word came out after the trade was completed that Larry McTunsil came in when they called him in to tell him he was being traded. He looked at the board, at the offer on the board and said, okay, I would have traded me for that. It was a crazy deal they got, and they've got four players, you know, extra players because of it. But I don't think if anything is going to happen with the Xavier Howard situation, we're not—they're not, not going to try to smear them. They're just far too classy an organization for that right now, and no one's going to know about anything until after it has been resolved.
0: Yeah, and I think if 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 it was this issue, people like to speculate on. And that's all anybody ever does with the Miami Dolphins now is nothing more than speculation. Even, um, you know, our fearless leader, and we all love him to death, Jason Sarney, speculated, you know, for weeks leading up to the draft, there's a big move coming. Be ready for it. I just, you know, I have a feeling. um, No no one knows. And, you know, in my opinion, if something was going to happen with Xavier Howard and it wasn't working out, um, as we know, the Dolphins aren't the type of team to draw. Draw anything out. Um, I think if something was going to happen, it would have happened. And that kind of gives me the, and and I I don't think Xavier Howard is going to finish his career in Miami. And, you know, that's unfortunate, but I think that has to do more with the business aspect of football more than anything. But yeah, I think if if anything was going to happen or if there was that kind of problem, something would have already happened. Um, And, you know, I know we're running late, um, but there's there's two, I kind of one one last thing I'd like, I'd like to uh, talk about. And then I just get some admin notes. Uh, um, I want to I want to touch base on Trill Williams. But before we go, um, what is one area, you know, everyone's hyped about Miami, as as they well should be. And I know, uh, Chip, you know, kind of called me out on our spaces last Friday is Wow, I can't believe Sean's so positive. And once once you look at the team and what they do, and I'm gonna I'll re-reference this uh with Trill Williams, it's it's hard not to be positive. I mean, you know, if they if the team comes out next year um in a very meaningful game and plays like they did in week 17, I'm I'm calling them out. Um and I am not gonna be one of those fans that makes excuses for them. I'm I'm gonna be genuinely upset and looking for someone to be held accountable, but um through all the hype and stuff, what is you know one area of the team that is just kind of like nagging at you that you know you you have some concerns, um, you don't know if it's been properly addressed, you don't know if there's enough depth, um, whatever. Um, Tanner, this? let's start with you. Wonderful, What's that wonderful. one area besides the running back room? Yeah,
2: I wouldn't even say back I wouldn't even say running back. Uh, if I'm um, being honest, I would say the ability to have um, okay just a linebacker. Like I know we have Van Ginkle, but Van Ginkle is mostly Van Van is mostly an edge. Vince Beagle is mostly an edge. Our our true only linebackers we have are Jerome Baker and uh, McKinley that we just traded for. And out of that, I think they, I think we don't really have a coverage linebacker. And you can say, oh, we have Javon Hall, and oh, we have, you know, Don Ig monogamy We have Eric Rowe. Um, who's going to stop the running back coming out of the flat? Who's going to stop the halfback angle? Who's who's going to cover the flats going across if we're not running man? You know what I mean? There's We don't have a coverage linebacker to me. I wouldn't say not linebacker overall. I would say an athletic linebacker that can cover. I think Jerome Baker is used very wrong. And I think on a scheme that praises versatility, I think Baker is the one that's being held down most by it, surprisingly, actually. Um, I think he's not brought into coverage enough. I think Baker has Avante David type numbers. Uh, See, I Devin, do think
0: he doesn't blitz enough. I think he needs to pass. pass I, rush. I,
2: I, I do. I do think that he did get his fair share of blitzes in last year. I think he had what seven sacks, if I'm wrong. But yeah. I do think that he That's has. Yeah. I do think he has the potential to be a better. I think he has a Devin White potential. Devin White's a stud. I love Devin White. There's a reason why I went fourth overall. Do I think he can be as good as Devin White? No, because he doesn't have the speed. But I think that he's a guy that could put up 100 tackles, four or five sacks a year with one or two interceptions. And that's fine by me. We don't have that linebacker that we can depend on, like a Zach Thomas type that can cover. Um, I know Zach Thomas wasn't the, you know, a major cover. I'm also too young to really <laughs> talk about Zach Thomas. But Zach Thomas could do it all. And I just think we just need a linebacker that can do it all, essentially. Um and Jerome Baker is that type of player, but if he goes down, who else do we have? Same thing with McKinley. McKinley's mostly a run stopper, but our depth at linebacker is just so shallow, like a middle linebacker, not like an edge, the one that's gonna be, you know, outside linebacker, essentially, middle linebackers what I'm talking about. It's just so shallow. It's like if if someone gets hurt, who who goes in? Are we just gonna put Eric Rowe in? Or are we gonna Or go they're John very
0: specific, yeah.
2: Exactly. Are we going to put Eric Rowan as linebacker or Javon Holland in linebacker? We might have to. We might not have a choice.
1: Chip, what do you got? Yeah, uh, the I, I think honestly, I believe that Jerome Baker was used uh, as a blitzer last year out of out of necessity because the, he was was the he was a quick player on the scheme. He, he I think he was dialed up for blitzes because he was. The person who was best suited for that role in the scheme that Flores ran, I don't think that's going to be the case as much this year. I think you're going to have Jalen Phillips eating because he's listed at linebacker. Um, That's just uh, briefly touching on that. If there's a, a, I I wouldn't say it's a position group that concerns me about Miami. And it's gonna take a while to gel. I think the first three or four games, is you're going to see a little bit of a lack of leadership on this team. It concerns me <clears throat> because while Brian Flores and Chris Gere are going for youth, they clearly love the younger players on this team. With that comes a lack of, of voice of leadership. They got rid of Bobby McCain, who was one of the leaders, He was one of the team captains. They brought in McCourty. And I understand that McCourty was a team captain for the Patriots as well, but that's going to take some time to chill. even all of, on the offensive line. That offensive line is incredibly young. They do have a veteran, some veteran um, leadership from Scora, and, and I, the the tackle they brought in for the Ravens is and is, Jesse, his and, name and Jesse is Davis. Me.
2: You can't forget Jesse Davis. Yes. now
1: correct. Now I think that's going to gel but I think at the beginning it's going to have some some issues defensive backfield I have no problems with you got Byron Jones and Xavier Howard I have zero issues with that there but even at running back who's the who's the voice in the running back room is it Malcolm Brown it it,
2: no I I think that is my only
1: real concern I understand the yeah well I mean but he's he's a third-year
2: player I don't know if he's you're going with yeah, I do actually. I, don't I know if think he's like the voice. Yeah, this is his um, year, man. I, I do. I have to. I have to be with Carter now and hop off the the Najee train and the. We need a running back train now. It's done and over with. I gotta. I gotta. <laughs> find, I gotta find someone else new to complain about. I think Gaskin steps up and be the leader. Do I think well, he's at Bell I Cal? Still? no, but I think he becomes a, a leader no. that that you know the players go to for advice and everything like that. I mean, he is the. I think re- Laird are the are the two most experienced with the team.
1: I did read something interesting on him that he is focusing very specifically on being the one cut back. He sticks his foot in the ground and go. I saw four, that several. With,
2: yeah, with the 4.8 speed. he has.
1: Up. Yeah, yeah. Well, I don't, I don't mind yeah. the. I don't mind a four eight speed. I do. I'm con.
2: If you're a one cut back. Concerned I about
1: how quick. Well, I'm concerned about how quickly. Well, if he, but how quickly can he get up to that speed? If he can get up to that speed very quickly, I'll take four. I'll take four eight all all, all day long. Because once somebody catches up to you, you're still 20 yards downfield. I have no oh, issues with you're that. You're gonna
2: well. be about 10 yards downfield yeah.
1: running a 4 8. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take I'll take the 10 yards too. That'll be fine.
0: So I mean, just real quick with Miles Gaskin. Um, when I was doing that film work on him, the the plays I saw him succeed the most in um were out of the RPO, which I think is gonna be a major point of emphasis here this, this year. And look like I know Chip and I have talked about it before, but um, when you go out and get a a Jalen Waddle and a Will Fuller, two guys that have to be accounted for on every single play, uh, um, Miles Gaskin's lanes are just going to get, you know, that, that much easier. Um, So, uh, yeah, I, I think it could be a huge huge year for Miles Gaskin. Um, In terms of the leadership, I guess we'll see. Um, I don't have a ton of issue. I don't, I don't have as many issues with the offensive line as most do. Um, I've kind of, like, Flores and Greer have earned my trust enough to where if they think that unit is, is, you know, built to be successful this season, um, I'm going to roll with it. And to your point in linebacker, that was going to be the room that I went with, more so, like, just because, you know, they're very role- Specific, it seems like. Although, uh, I don't think enough people have talked about uh, Bernard McKinney and like what he brings to this team. Uh, I mean, that's a a Pro Bowl caliber linebacker um, who could, you know, be a major reason uh, why we don't have to worry so much about our run defense anymore. And then, you know, with Jerome Baker, I, Chip has been very high on Jerome Baker uh, all off-season long, and it took me a little bit, but you know, the more I looked at him, in his personality, and you know, things that he can do, I think by season end, um, the the perception of Jerome Baker is going to be that of, of someone that like he's he's one of the most valuable pieces on the defense. Yeah, he, he was um, last year too. Actually, I think. Actually, he, I think. Right, and I I think he's going to take such a step forward this year that um, he'll at least be in some sort of Pro Bowl conversation. Um, He's either going into his fourth or fifth year, but I think it's his fourth year. And, you know, he's made, you know, progress every year. Miami each year seems to, um, you know, kind of spotlight him a little bit more in their marketing and their advertising and – I don't know. I just get the feeling from him that he might be, you know, one of the faces, true faces of the defense that not just Dolphins fans know about, um, but, you know, fans all all across the league know about. Um, but in terms of the one position, and it's it's not really going to be, you know, the whole room, but, and again, you know my my stance on rookies, like, I mean, no one's played it down, you you got to prove it. But there's one player on the team that as of right now, at least until I see some of these new players or rookies um, develop and how they play, there's one player on this team that I think is as close to irreplaceable um, in terms of value as you can get. And if something happens to him, I think the whole dynamic of that side of the ball can change, and that's Eric Rowe. Um, for way too many years, we we let tight ends just beat up on us. Um, it was a major vulnerability for our team. And then last year, Eric Rowe comes out of nowhere and he erases George Kittle. Um, I, we all know Darren Waller. You know he did his thing, he raped but
2: ninety yeah,
0: percent um, yep. of the time. No, ninety percent of the the time, I mean, the, the the opposing tight end wasn't even you know a part of the game. Like, there's nothing to see there. So, um, I think Eric Rose value, and I think that that's so far Brian Flores' biggest success story. Um, I think he's just he brings so much, and it's it's kind of underappreciated. And I know some people might say, well, you know, we got Javon Holland, but that's kind of where. I go back to, let's see what he can do first. He already has pretty enormous shoes to fill with Bobby McCain gone. Um, So yeah, it kind of got me excited and made me thinking about guys that I've been thinking about will take us a huge step forward next year. Um, I think I'm going to save that for next week, Chip. Um, I think we could have, you know, some pretty interesting in conversation i got a few names that would probably surprise some people but yeah i think that's all i got for this week although yes tanner um real quick why don't you tell everybody about your new show coming in the fall
2: so um for those who don't know i have a show a weekly show just like you know chip and chip and sean dude chit chat with the maniacs it's similar to this but we talk you know, anything though. Um I just had a guest on we talked about the the Mayweather and, and Logan Paul fight. <laughs> but um in the season I'm starting I hate the uh... Paul <laughs> Oh my goodness. gracious. In I the can't, season I'm can't, starting I cannot I wait to, to see them.
1: Floyd. Yeah. I can I cannot wait to see Floyd Mayweather knock him around the ring. I just can't. And I don't like Floyd Mayweather very much. Um, but I, 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 I'm suddenly am a huge Floyd Mayweather fan now I cannot wait for
2: that. <laughs> so, um, yeah, if you want to check that out, check that out. It's coming out this week, actually. Um, and I, during the season, nice. I'm starting a, a symbol podcast for Simple. For those who don't know, you can watch, you can listen to the, uh, the introductory podcast with the CEO, Ken Giles, um, and the introductory article that's out on, on Finmaniacs as well. With uh, Steffi Smalls, we are going to, you know, just break down what teams we looking to buying, selling, you know, future, long-term, short-term, whatever you want. Probably taking some questions as well. Uh, we we're, we're, we got we got a lot of things brewing here at Fit Maniacs, and that's just the tip of the iceberg. That's something that's been announced. We got tons of stuff working behind the scenes, uh, tons of stuff that people know about. I know a, sh- a show with CVAC just got announced. It's starting Saturday. So, I mean, we got, we got a lot of things cooking, especially just Sean and Chip do on the back end. So... Just, just just be on the lookout, especially in season for the for the podcast with Steffi Smalls, but symbol.
0: Nice. Yeah, for those who for those of you who have been living in a hole, um, <laughs> Steffi Smalls is uh is definitely a fantasy football badass. So that should be exciting. And then um, our resident fin maniac Tanner Elliott might be the coolest kid alive. So um, that should make <laughs> for a very exciting pairing. Uh, uh, Chip, final thoughts.
1: Um, I am looking forward to this upcoming uh, training camp like you wouldn't believe. I want to see the the results of having a full training camp. Last year we didn't get one because of COVID. How the second year players de- develop um, from last year, which I think are fantastic. How the rookies start interacting with the veterans. Um, we're going to be doing... Uh, coverage of each individual draftee uh, starting next week. We'll be starting with Jared Dokes. I know you'll be excited um, trying to do feature articles on each of the players that was drafted leading up to training camp. It'll get us almost all the way there. I'm really psyched for it.
0: Yeah, and uh, me me too. Very, very excited. And for those listeners, um, eagerly awaiting news on the overthrow of Buffalo, uh, me as well as, as some of the other people in the team have been working really, really hard. Um, we are very close uh, on releasing information on that. Uh, very, very exciting information. Um, so stay tuned, looking out for that. And uh, uh, that's it for this week. Uh, thanks for listening to the fin Maniacs. Thank you, Tanner, for gracing us with your uh, just perfect presence presents and <laughs> we will see you next yes, week. Sir,
1: fins up, baby.